Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, When Less is More. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, March the 15th, 2015, the fourth Sunday in Lent. My Lenten disciplines are typically pretty standard fare. Last year, I read through the four Gospels. I've also given up coffee and alcohol, and in the process discovered that abstinence is easier than self-control. Another time, I ate just one meal a day in an attempt to identify with those billions of people for whom that's their only option. Eating once a day was hard. By late afternoon, my body was all cold, even if I put on a sweater. I felt agitated and distracted and couldn't concentrate on anything. It also led to legalistic hair-splitting. Wasn't an afternoon snack the same as an appetizer for an early dinner? And why did I gorge myself for my one meal of the day? In fact, I think these Lenten disciplines were good for me, even though I struggled with my motives. Lenten practices of sacrifice and discipline serve a positive purpose in our culture of indulgence and entitlement. Lenten disciplines also appeal to my ascetic streak. My wife complains that I'm an all-or-nothing sort of person who won't take an afternoon hike but will do a 500-mile pilgrimage. I remember right where I was 30 years ago at the dinner table when a friend joked half-seriously to me, Dan, were you born serious? The early desert monastics warned of such extremist zeal. They knew from their own experiences that there's a thin line between self-discipline and self-justification. And in our culture of merit, I find that Lenten disciplines can become a way to prove myself, spiritually speaking, to others, to myself, and certainly to God. But trying to earn God's love is a fool's errand. It isn't necessary, and it isn't even possible. So, for Lent this year, I'm trying something different. I'm doing nothing at all. I'm trying to follow Edwina Gately's wisdom to be quiet and still before God, to say nothing, ask nothing, and do nothing. Nothing, that is, she says, except to let your God look upon you with his enormous love. That is all. And that's hard in a whole different way. I get support for my discipline-free plan from my wife. She likes to joke that Lent isn't in the Bible. She's on the right side of Scripture, but on the wrong side of church history. Since the 4th century, Christians have observed the 40 weekdays before Easter as a season of reflection, repentance, fasting, and acts of mercy. Nonetheless, she makes a good and very Protestant point. 
A friend also encouraged me last week when he described how his spiritual director told him to abstain from all his tried and true ways of seeking God. Conversational prayer, meditation, the rosary, Christian books, Lectio Divina, and the like. So he's fasting, as it were, from all that hard work he does to relate to God. Our Jewish friends even have an ancient ritual to address this problem of trying too hard. It's called Kol Nidre. In Aramaic, that means all vows. The Kol Nidre is a declaration that is recited at the beginning of the service on the eve of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The cantor chants a prayer that begins with those first two words, Kol Nidre. Here's the prayer. All vows, obligations, oaths, and anathemas, which we may vow or swear or pledge or whereby we may be bound, from this day of atonement till the next, we do repent. May they be deemed absolved, forgiven, annulled, and void, and made of no effect. They shall not bind us nor have power over us. The vows shall not be reckoned vows. The obligations shall not be obligatory, nor the oaths be oaths. The idea behind Kol Nidre is that, however well intended, we break our promises to God. And so I repent of my vows and receive forgiveness for and freedom from them. In John's Gospel this week, Jesus describes our struggle between light and dark, life and death, salvation and condemnation, belief and unbelief. No one is immune from this struggle. Nobody gets a free pass. In his epistle to the Ephesians, Paul says that all of us are implicated. In our struggle comes, he says, by nature. Indeed, said Thomas Merton, the most basic and fundamental problem of the spiritual life is this acceptance of our dark and hidden self. And so the question arises, what am I to do? Maybe double down on earnest religious effort? In his Gospel, John tells a story from Numbers 21 to point the way forward. Just as Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in the desert that healed people merely by looking at it, so today we only have to look to the love of God. There's nothing else we can or should do. In his little epistle, epistle 1 John chapter 4, John strips away all pious pretense with a shocking admission. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He continues, the only thing I'm asked to do is to, quote, know and rely upon the love that God has for us. Paul says something similar in the epistle this week. 
In those famous words from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, I experience God's favor by grace through faith, apart from any human merit. His goodness is a free gift, not a reward for my spiritual efforts. In my faith, Luther compared faith to the beggar's empty hand that receives a gift. God only asked me to accept his acceptance. In the words of the hymn, just as I am without one plea. So this Lent, I want to experience what Denise Levertoff describes in her poem, The Avowal. Here's her poem. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky, and water bears them, as hawks rest upon air, and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain free fall, and float into Creator Spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all-surrounding grace. A true saint, said Merton, is not someone who has become good through strenuous disciplines, but rather someone who has experienced the free goodness of God. For books this week, I review a title by Carl Marlantes. The title, What It Is Like to Go to War. New York Grove Press, 2011, 256 pages. After graduating from high school in 1963 in a small logging town in Oregon, Carl Malantes enrolled at Yale University on a National Merit Scholarship. He then attended Oxford University as a Rhodes Scholar, but he left after one semester and volunteered for active duty in Vietnam with the U.S. Marine Corps. During those two years in Vietnam, Marlantes kept a daily journal, which provided the material for his first book called Matterhorn, described by one critic as one of the most profound and devastating novels ever to come out of Vietnam. Subsequently, after Vietnam, Marlantes finished his master's degree at Oxford. This new memoir, What It Is Like to Go to War, describes his 40-year effort to understand his Vietnam experience, and in particular his struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder. The book is part psychotherapy, part graphic descriptions of his war experiences, and part philosophic exploration of the nature of war. He says he wrote the book to explore the many psychological, moral, and spiritual stresses of combat that we actively ignore in our public and private conversations, even though they assault our psyches, confuse our ethics, and test our souls. So, what is it like to go to war? Marlantes says war is many things a necessary evil to maintain civilization, even as it destroys the fabric of civilization. War is chaos and carnage, grief 
and guilt, terror and an exhilarating experience of transcendence. Merlantes examines his own war experiences, the insights of Jung and the Bhagavad Gita, and the wisdom of everyone from Homer and Sophocles to Nietzsche and 10th century Viking poetry. Successive chapters consider killing, guilt, lying, loyalty, heroism, and coming home. America, writes Marlantes, is a very aggressive and warlike nation. This, in fact, is a simple fact of history, as Stephen Kinzer showed in his book Overthrow from 2006, which describes our 14 wars in just the last hundred years. Let us hope that Marlantes' deeply personal story can provoke an important national conversation. Carl Marlantes, what it is like to go to war. For movies this week, we go to the country of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The title of the film is Virunga from 2014. The Virunga National Park in Congo is one of the most beautiful and environmentally rich places on Earth. But it struggles for survival in one of the world's most violent countries. This Netflix documentary tells the story of the brave park rangers who have given their lives to save Virunga, and in particular, its population of mountain gorillas. These park rangers face formidable odds. First, there are the poachers. Next, since the 1994 genocide in next-door Rwanda, Congo has been the site of the deadliest conflict since World War II, with over five million deaths. Over a dozen different rebel militias seek control of the government, land, and the mineral wealth. And then there's the newly discovered oil underneath Lake Edward, concessions to which have been given to the rapacious British oil company Soko. This film has won at least 23 international awards. I watched it on Netflix streaming. In French and English with subtitles. From the Democratic Republic of Congo, Virunga, from the year 2014. And finally, for Lenten poetry, we've posted the poem by Edwina Gately, to which I referred in my essay. It's called, Let Your God Love You. Be silent. Be still. Alone. Empty before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that love. Quiet. Still. Be. 
Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, March the 15th, 2015. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. 